Well, hey, good morning. Good to see you this morning. And uh, welcome, glad you're here. We're getting closer to being back to normal. Little by little, week by week, we're getting there. Lord willing, right? Are you excited about that? Or are you just kind of, oh yeah, I'm still here. Here we go. I'm seeing kind of the, I'm still here. But hey, I'm glad you're here today. All of you who are watching online, glad that you can join us today as well. And any of you in the fellowship hall, um, just so glad you're here. You know, today we're still in the midst of just this time. I said, you know, hopefully get back to normal where things were still uncertain. Is there going to be a normal? What's that going to look like? When will we finally get there? There's a lot of uncertainty still. Would you agree? And then you look at some of the events of this week and know that an election's coming and you're like, oh man, I don't know if I can handle any more uncertainty. Well, in light of that, we're continuing our series then, Uncertain Certainty. And uh, we're looking to Jesus, who is certain and who is unchanging, as we navigate uh, this life that is anything but often days. Uh, You know, today we're going to jump into a time of Jesus' life where he himself was facing great uncertainty. Uh, Uncertainty about the future and what was going to happen with his life on this earth. And of course, there was uncertainty then for the disciples who were caught in the midst of it. And all of that uncertainty for them of, of who Jesus is led to uncertainty of who they are and who they were. And what we're going to look at specifically is the hours leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, just one scene in that, uh, that story, and where Pilate begins quizzing Jesus about who he was. You know Pontius Pilate? Pontius Pilate was the Roman governor of the province of Judea. And he's the guy the Pharisees uh, took Jesus to, accusing him of calling himself a king and setting himself in the place of the emperor. And you need to prosecute this man. He needs to die. Well, uh, as you can imagine, this led to a lot of uncertainty uh, for Jesus, for his disciples. Uh, And in John 18, verse 33, that's where we're going to be today, but not quite yet. Um, Just know we're living in a day and age, too, where maybe the disciples were uncertain. Who really is Jesus and who really are they after spending this time with them? For us, we're in a day and age full of uncertainty where I think a lot of Christians are unsure of who they really are, unsure of their citizenship, and they have an uncertain citizenship and identity. You know, I I mentioned already, but this Tuesday uh, marks the start, in Indiana at least, of another election cycle. Do you know that? Tuesday morning are the primaries. Some of you will probably vote right in that room, right outside those doors. Now, it got delayed. You know, it was supposed to happen in May, but it got pushed back with the virus to June. And so think then that all of the political bickering and everything else would have gotten delayed too, right? If anything, uh, things are more ratcheted up now than maybe any time in our lifetimes. You know, and and just so you know, this isn't going to be a message about who to vote for or how to vote. I just, I'd encourage you to though. But it's a great privilege for us to vote. It's a good act of being a, a responsible citizen of the United States. And, uh, but we're in a time where so much is uncertain. And uh, so many things, our country is radically divided about so many issues. And everything gets politicized anymore. Have you noticed that? 
I mean, how about the coronavirus? Uh, radically divided views of how to handle all of this, when to return to normal, how to return. Uh, blame is being tossed back and forth from one side to the other, that uh, one side is just being really irresponsible. You're all coming back too early. And then the other side, well, you guys are all just throwing out fear. And that's why nobody's coming back. And each one is claiming the other is the, the end of our country and lobbing things back and forth at one another. And you're like, I don't know about that. I think my side, well, you've probably only been watching one news channel then. It's going back and forth all over the place. Have you seen that? It is just radically divided. Everything's politicized. And you know what grieves my heart the most about all of this is when I watch on social media or on TV, those who profess to follow Jesus Christ uh, getting down into the mud and engaging in a way that is anything but representative of Jesus. Friends, you and I are citizens, uh, I would imagine most of us in this room are citizens of the United States, a country that is deeply divided, that is uh, broken, and dare I say collapsing. You know, and if the divide over COVID-19 wasn't enough to convince you, how about some of the events this week in Minneapolis? And not just this week, but similar events over the last months, years, decades. I don't know if you've seen it or not. I don't know how you could have missed it, but watching uh, George Floyd die this week in a pretty gruesome way. It was, it was heartbreaking to watch that video. You know, I have, uh, I have friends who are pastors in Chicago and Detroit and Indianapolis, all near the inner city, and who are African Americans who their hearts are broken by all of this. Their hearts are also angered, as you can imagine, by all of this. And they're trying to navigate now uh, pastoring a church um, that uh, most of their churches are, are racially diverse, that uh, there's division there not only about the coronavirus, but now about race and how to respond. And can you imagine? My heart breaks for them. My heart uh, breaks for the family of George Floyd. Friends, that should have never happened that way. By the way, did you know uh, there's an article on Christianity Today, you can go actually read about the man, George Floyd. He, he wasn't a perfect man, but he was involved in ministry. He was a, a follower of Jesus, and by many accounts, he had a positive impact on a lot of people's lives. And it's been heartbreaking. Here's the other thing that, that I would say is that Racism is nothing more than uh, absolute evil from the pit of hell. It is not in any way congruent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In no way, shape, or form. Racial slurs, racial attitudes, opinions, jokes, they have absolutely no place in the life of a follower of Jesus. It's wickedness, friends. Now, personally, I don't know of anyone in our church who I would say uh, has a, 
a, a racist bent about them. That's not been my experience in, in interacting with you now for almost two decades. However, I would say that all of us, to some degree, greater and lesser degrees, we all do hold certain prejudices about different people. Prejudice is just where I I prejudge something. I come to the table with my own conclusions ahead of time uh, that I impose on the situation. Now, there's a difference between the evil of racism and prejudice, but both can be equally harmful towards people that we're sent to love. And by the way, it's not just towards the African-American community. We don't have a very large African-American community around Milford and Syracuse, but there is uh, many other ethnicities that are growing and that uh, I I think if you're honest, you would say, I've seen prejudice towards those communities, towards people who are different than me, towards those who are maybe Hispanic or Asian or Amish. Like, oh, I didn't think about it. Yeah. We all come to the table with different prejudice towards people, prejudged opinions that we've determined ahead of time and, and things that we need to repent of. You know, uh, the reality is that, that we, we come along with those prejudices uh, somewhat innocently just by where we grow up, how we're raised, the things that, that we experience growing up. You know, for me, I went to, I grew up in a small town like Milford. It was almost entirely Caucasian as I grew up in Iowa. I went to college at Iowa State and then Moody Bible Institute in downtown Chicago. And, and quickly my eyes were opened to, to different cultures, to different realities that people face. I mean, in the city of Chicago, right downtown, right near Cabrini Green, where I went to college, as, as a, a white male, I could walk down the street wearing a hoodie like I have on now in the evening and it wasn't an issue. But friends of mine who were Hispanic or who were African American, if they tried to do the same, I'm telling you the looks that they would receive were quite suspicious. There's a certain, maybe you don't like this term, but there is a certain privilege that I've enjoyed in my life where I've grown up simply because of the color of my skin. Now, all I'm saying is we need to be aware of those prejudices that we have. And if you're getting angry right now, maybe I'm poking at some idols. Now, on the flip side of this, we, I ache and hurt for those communities and for people who have experienced that. At the same time, I ache and hurt for those who are in law enforcement. You know, I don't know anyone who got into law enforcement who didn't have the heart and the desire to serve and love and protect and bring justice and peace to people who are in need of it. Do you? I don't know one. In fact, do you know 0.00003% of all police interactions end in a fatality? That's how small that number is. Yet for, for those uh, who, uh, who are in law enforcement, I have friends who are in my life group, other friends who are pastors, people in our church. I, I think all of them would express anger at what they saw happen this week. But at the same time now, they find themselves as the focus sometimes of that anger that other people have experienced. And, and 
understandably so, but wrongly so. And so my heart breaks for them because uh, one, two bad, rotten apples has made their lives incredibly hard and my heart breaks for them. And you know, the riots we've been witnessing this week, how could you avoid them? Do you know, uh, all three of my little brothers live in Minneapolis. One in the suburbs, one right downtown Minneapolis, he and his wife and their one-year-old son. And then my youngest brother actually lives about two blocks from where most of the rioting happened. The third precinct that was burned, that's his neighborhood. And so sometimes you look at the rioting and you go, oh, what's going on? This is craziness. But here's the deal. If I look at that and and get incredibly angry about all of that that's happening, but at the same time, don't show the same disdain for what has happened to guys like George Floyd and others in Louisville and Georgia and Texas just in the last month, there's something amiss in my heart. And we should be uh, equally frustrated with both because while the, the... the riots are, they're, they're fueled by genuine hurt and genuine angst and genuine suffering. It's expressed in a wrong way, but what's lying under it is real and has been experienced. And I hate to tell you this, but I don't think any of this is going away. Not anytime soon. I, I think this is something we'll face for most of our lives to some degree because we reside in a broken, divided, royally messed up, in need of Jesus culture. We do. And so here's, I guess, where the rubber meets the road for us today is our residence is on this earth in this culture, right? This is where we live. This is where we go about life. But where's your citizenship? Your residency is here. Where's your citizenship? Where's your citizenship? Well, if, in other words, where's home really for you? Where's home? If you're a follower of Jesus, guess what? Your citizenship, Paul writes in Philippians chapter three, verse 20, is not here. It's in where? Heaven, right? Our citizenship, Paul writes, is in heaven. In other words, this isn't home. This isn't home. And see, an uncertain citizenship, if, I, if I'm finding all of my identity, all of my citizenship, if I'm saying this place, uh, the earth, this life, this is it, this is home, guess what? I'm gonna look here for a fix to everything that's happening. I'm gonna look around here for a savior. But here, look what Paul says. Our citizenship is where? Say it with me. In where? Heaven. And where is it that we look for, the, for salvation and for a savior then? From home, we await, it for, we, we await from it, from heaven, a savior. Friends, our, our only hope, see if we get mixed up and we're so focused on living life in this earth, we're gonna look around us uh, towards uh, a politician or, or towards some ideology or whatever else to be the savior of everything that we want and desire to see done. And we see it played out every day in our world. But we're citizens of heaven if you're a follower of Jesus. And it's from heaven our Savior comes. You're not going to find anything here. You know, I don't know about you, but the election I mentioned coming up Tuesday, right? 
Have you felt this? Or I think I've probably even said this. I have a feeling, maybe even right here. I don't know. But th- that in a certain sense, like politically speaking, it's like, okay, I look at this side, they're crazy. I look at this side, some crazy going on over here too. It's like, I don't have a political home. <laughs> and then I go, Josh, what are you looking for home in a political party for? Your citizenship is not here. Where is it? It's in heaven. It's in heaven. And it's from heaven I need to await a savior. Not a politician. I'll vote for them and think they're going to promise. Listen, you're going to hear all kinds of promises to save everything about the world from both sides of the aisle over the next six months. And then about 15 minutes after you vote, whoever you think the savior might be, you're going to be royally disappointed. (laughs) Because our savior is from heaven. Well, uh, the savior we wait for is King Jesus. And we're going to be in John chapter 18. I mentioned that earlier. So if you've got your Bible, if you've uh, got an app, go ahead and open up there with me to John chapter 18. And the story we're going to look at today, we're picking it up at the end of uh, what's been a really long night for Jesus. I mean, think about some of the things that have happened to him so far. He's been betrayed by Judas, a guy who spent three years of his life with him. He's been interrogated by the Pharisees, by the religious leaders. He's been beaten and bloodied by the guards. He's been denied by one of his three closest friends in Peter. And now he finds himself standing before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea. So let's pick it up in chapter 18, verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and he called Jesus and he said to him, hey, are you the king of the Jews? Now, I think the way you probably need to read this though is like, are you the king of the Jews? You? Think of it, Jesus had had just had an incredibly long night. He's been beaten, he's bloodied, his face is probably swollen and he comes in, Pilate's waiting for some guy who claims to be king and he looks up at him like, You're the king? You? I wonder if that's not how he said it. Now, Jesus answered, and I love what Jesus does here, is he flips the script. Because while Pilate is in charge here, who's in charge? Jesus is. He's the king of heaven, of the universe. And he flips the script. And here's what he says. He says, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me. You know, I had a couple funerals this week and we looked at the story of of Lazarus. Lazarus died and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, Jesus goes to visit them and Martha comes out and Jesus says to Martha, Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. Even uh, whoever believes in me, even after he dies, yet will he live. And he looks at her, he's like, do you believe this, Martha? Do you? In some ways he's saying that to Pilate here, like Pilate, are you saying this? Do you, do you believe I'm the king? Let's get after your heart. Where, where, where are you at? Where's your citizenship? Where's your home? And then Pilate answered. He says, well, am I a Jew? What do you mean? I mean, it's your own nation. The chief priests have delivered you over to me. What, what exactly have you done? He said to Jesus. Jesus answered. And, and by the way, here's the key line for this entire morning and anything I have to share with you today. Jesus says, my kingdom is, what's the word? Not 
of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. In fact, he says, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. It's from heaven we await a savior, King Jesus. And Jesus confirms it. He says, my kingdom, it's not of this place. It's from above. Well, as we keep reading, then uh, Pilate says to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, well, you, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. To bear witness to the truth that I am a king is what he's saying. Everyone who is of the truth then listens to my voice. So Pilate said to him, what is truth? Kind of shrugs him off. And after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and he told them, I find no guilt in this man. But he said, you have a custom that I should release one man to you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Or they cried out again, no, not this man, but Barabbas. Well, Barabbas was an insurrectionist. He was a robber. And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. No, he was a robber. Uh, I, would, I would say maybe uh, these people were so focused on the kingdom right here, their citizenship was rooted in the right here and now that when the king actually came from heaven, they didn't recognize him as their king because their citizenship was all messed up. So again, it begs the question, where's your citizenship? Is it in heaven or is it on this earth? And uh, here's where I think the underlying issue is. I'm gonna, uh, you've heard me maybe use this phrase in the past, but what I wanna ask is where is your citizenship? Is it in Christendom or is it in heaven? Is it in Christendom or is it in heaven? Now here's what I mean by this. If you don't know or you're just not aware what Christendom is, Christendom is basically a 500 year social experiment. That's basically what it is. And uh, it, it was this, like it, it, it kind of answered this question and took this question into mind. What would it be like if Christian values or if a Judeo-Christian ethic were at the very center of culture and not on the margins? What would that be like? That was the essence of this experiment. Now, the United States, the nation we're part of, was birthed in the middle of Christendom and with that ideology. And listen, hear me, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. But I am saying you gotta be aware of some of these things as we move forward and how that affects maybe your view of your citizenship, your ultimate citizenship. The Bible has a distinction, did you know this, uh, between uh, God's people and the world. It does. But in Christendom what happens is the line gets kind of blurred. Because when you put some sort of religion or faith in the center, now there's some cultural benefits to saying that I'm a Christian, that I believe in God. In other words, it puts some pressure on you to do some churchy things as a part of a culture that's engrossed in Christendom. For instance, uh, over the last 500 years, when your baby was born and you wanted to have it dedicated or maybe baptized, depending on uh, your denomination, what did you do? Where did you take him or her? To where? The church. 
because that's at the center of culture. When a holiday comes, let's say Christmas, and you're part of a good upstanding family in the community, where are you gonna show up on Christmas? Church. Uh, How about uh, when you have a wedding? Where should you have your wedding? I mean, you want the pictures to look good, right? You don't wanna make grandma cry. You wanna make sure that your, your wedding is where? At the church, even if you haven't been there in over a decade. Your wedding's gonna be there. And then uh, you, you keep going on throughout life and uh, uh, finally your, your funeral comes and where are we gonna have the funeral? Well, where else would we have it but in the church because that's where we do it. That's the center. That's the right thing to do. That's all Christendom, friends. That's Christendom where it's become a part of, of culture. And so what happens then is this assumption that you can't have a good society unless there's some sort of God consciousness in the center, And again, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that's the reality of our nation and of uh, the birth of our nation and what most of us have grown up in. Uh, For instance, I'll quote George Washington, his farewell address. He said this, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. What he's saying is that for people to get along, we've got to have some sort of social moral order And for that to happen, we've got to have some sort of shared common assumption of what's right and what's wrong. So we put religion in the middle of it, and all of a sudden, people are talking a lot about God. The problem, we never define who God is. And so everybody gets to kind of define who God is. So under Christendom, you have uh, the whole kit and caboodle, right? I mean, you've got uh, people who really love and follow Jesus and believe the Bible, but then you have other kind of would-be cults like Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness or even um, uh, other uh, totally separate religions uh, like Islam. You, you believe in God? Great. We all share that together. And we, everybody's left on their own to define who God is. I mean, it allows for guys like Thomas Jefferson, right? You know Thomas Jefferson, one of the presidents of the United States, and he took the Bible, he took his Bible basically in the White House, took a pair of scissors and just started cutting out everything he didn't agree with, all the, all, all the miracles. And then he put it down and said, here we go, this is the philosophy of Jesus. He reduced God's word down to just a simple philosophy. And all of that comes under the banner of Christendom. See, the question then in Christendom isn't, do you believe the Bible? Uh, Have you trusted Jesus? Do you belong to Jesus? It's simply, do you believe in God and do you believe that there should be some sort of social moral order? That's an easy yes for most people. Well, here's what President-elect Dwight Eisenhower said uh, a number of years after Washington. He said, our form of government has no sense unless it's founded in a deeply felt religious faith. But then he went on and he said, and I don't care what faith it is. What faith do you mean, Dwight? It doesn't matter. Just somebody who believes in God right there. And that becomes the center. Do you see that? He said, we need religion. I don't care. Pick one. Pick one. But I don't know about you, but as a follower of Jesus, I want more than just religion. I want more than just people saying, yeah, I believe in God. I want people to follow Jesus, to be born again. Would you agree with that? Not just to be a good person, but to hear about Jesus. So, but what happens in Christendom then is a lot of the language of the Bible gets applied to 
the nation and to Christendom as a whole. So for us in America, I came across this this week and I thought this was well said. In Christendom then, this is a little, uh, this is kind of how it goes. America is the new Israel. Our revolution is the new exodus. The Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, Constitution become the new canon of scripture. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, he's the new Moses. Independence Day is the new Easter. Our national enemies are the new Satan. Benedict Arnold, he's the new Judas. The founding fathers are the new apostles. Taxes are the new tithe. Patriotic songs are our new hymns. The Pledge of Allegiance is the sinner's prayer. And the president is the new pastor. So whenever the president comes out to speak, he preaches. Right? I mean, that's, that's been really kind of the framework in many ways underlying our nation for a while. For 500 years, it's the way it was. Now, here's what's happened, though. Here's the problem, and here's why you need to be aware of that, is that culture has changed radically. Have you seen that, or is it just me? Just me? Okay. Culture's changed just a little bit over the years, hasn't it? I mean... uh, So Christianity, here's the deal. Now Christianity, in Christendom, Christianity was at the center of culture and it was respected and the Bible was respected and right and wrong is respected. But now it's been moved to the margins. Why? Well, in Christendom, if, if, uh, if I'm, there, there's social benefit to being a Christian and to being involved in a church. So if I'm gonna run for political office, what do I say? Yeah, I believe in God and I go to church here. Why? Because there's benefit for me. If I run a business, yeah, I believe in God. Uh, I go to this church because there's benefit for me. In fact, that's where I'm gonna find people to populate and uh, patron my business. <laughs> well, that's been the reality for a number of years, for centuries, but now over the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years, however far you want to go, now suddenly those social benefits that while they used to be worth the cost, now the cost outweighs the benefits. And so it's more costly to just say I'm a Christian and I don't get those social benefits. I mean, try running for president now and say, yeah, I'm a born-again follower of Jesus Christ. I believe the Bible is the authoritative word of God. I believe it in all that it teaches. I trust it in all that it promises. How long would your candidacy last? Not very long, because the costs now outweigh the benefit. And so there's been this change. And so Christianity isn't in the center. It's like when you play musical chairs as a kid. And at the, at the end, when the music stopped, we always had a chair. And now, guess what? We don't have a chair. <laughs> and we're on the sidelines watching everybody else play the game. Well, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Now, uh, some of the ways you see this expressed, and we're going to come back to that thought in a moment, but, but oftentimes we see it in kind of a generational shift where, uh, and, and by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm 42, I, I kind of catch myself right in the middle of it, in, in between kind of uh, what I'm going to describe, Okay. And I go back and forth. On the one hand, those who are maybe a little older look, look backwards in time and they say, you know what, if we just go back to those days when there was uh, more, uh, more morality, more patriotism, more whatever else, those were the good old days. I mean, we read the Bible in school. There was all kinds of good stuff going on. If we could just go back, that would be heaven. And then you have younger generations who go, yeah, but 
going back there, there were some things back there that weren't that great, like segregation or Jim Crow laws or all kinds of other nonsense. Really? You want to go back to that? And they go, we've, we've seen a lot of progress over the years in good ways. And so now we're looking forward and we're saying, you know what? No, heaven is this way. We got to go forward. We got to just keep changing and keep progressing and keep making things better. Do you see that? And I find myself in the middle. Like sometimes I'm like, yeah, let's go back. Like Mayberry sounds pretty good. And other times I go, man, I want to get as far away from Mayberry as I possibly can. I want to go this way. Do you feel that? But here's why you feel that if you're a follower of Jesus, because the world looks at it and they say that somewhere on this horizontal plane is our savior in this life on this earth. And the reality is, no, your citizenship is in heaven and from it, we await a savior. So the question is, where is your citizenship? Where are you finding your home? It's not here. And what it means for Christians then is that we're increasingly having to live and do ministry from the margins. We've always been at the center for most of our lifetimes, but that's not reality anymore. And and so sometimes, you know, we bemoan and we say, oh man, everybody's leaving the church and uh, people are running away from the faith. And and no, I don't think that's the case at all. I think Christianity uh, is incredibly vibrant. The reality is just when those benefits that used to encourage people to be a part have disappeared, now all of a sudden, all the data is a lot cleaner. (laughs) And we have a better representation of who's really in and who's not. Who's really on Team Jesus and who doesn't really care and was only there, you know, for the benefits, for the free potlucks. I mean, there's examples of of God's people serving from the margin all throughout history. And even in scripture, guys like like Joseph in Egypt or Daniel in Babylon or Nehemiah in Persia, all over the place. Esther would be another we could mention, all all over. And, And ministry happens from the margins. Here's my point, like Christianity can work and works and thrives from the margins. And so when we find ourselves in a world where so much is uncertain from uh, the coronavirus to uh, racism, to uh, law and order, to an election that's coming and everything just seems up for grabs. The reality is that, that our answer is not here. Our answer is Jesus and we need to look up. Lift up your heads, Jesus says because your redemption draws nigh. We need to look up. See, the world would look on this horizontal plane, but as followers of Jesus, we recognize that uh, it's more like an up and down thing where we need to pull down the kingdom, invite the kingdom down, and, and pull up people out of the pit of hell because like the culture of hell is, is racism and uh, just injustice and, and every other evil. And the the fix for those things is not on a horizontal plane. It's when our savior, who's from heaven, comes and sets up shop. And by the way, when Jesus comes, he's not running for election. He's just gonna be a benevolent king who sets up shop. And here he is, because he'd never get elected. (laughs) Especially not today. And that's gonna be a great day. Now here's the reality. Jesus then, to Pilate, to a a political guy, he's telling him, hey, my king, I am a king, but my kingdom is not of this place. It's not of this world. It's not like the kingdom you serve. 
My kingdom is not of this world. And then do you know Paul looks to us as followers of Jesus and he says, and so your citizenship is not here, it's in heaven and you're ambassadors then of that kingdom. You're an ambassador of that kingdom if you're a follower of Jesus. Look look at 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ. Have you ever wondered what it'd be like to be an ambassador in a foreign country? Have you ever thought about that? Like, where would you be an ambassador to? Barbados sounds pretty good, especially in February. You know, like, and you get all these different benefits and you can go live in these places and see the world and, and you have some authority. And it's like, dude, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are an ambassador of the greatest kingdom ever that ever has been, ever will be. Jesus' kingdom. You're, 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 you come with his authority with, as, a as a representative, a personal representative of Jesus Christ, God making his appeal through you. We implore you then on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So friends, your, your residence might be on this earth. And you might be looking around and looking at all the uncertainty going, man, I just don't know how I feel about this. Lift up your head. If you're a follower of Jesus, this isn't home. You may be a resident of this earth, but your citizenship is in heaven. And your savior, your salvation will not be found here. It'll only be found in Jesus. Represent him, live that out well. Now, I'd be remiss as we wrap up here not to say this, if, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, then you don't fall into that category. See, Christendom, many people bought into the lie that somehow going to church and doing churchy things made me a Christian, made me a follower of Jesus, but the reality is that's not true. Right, I've told you, I can go to Taco Bell, eat all the chalupas I want. I'm gonna look like a chalupa, smell like one, but I'm not gonna be one. I can go to church, go through all the churchy things, you know, stand at the right time, sing the right songs, even give, serve. But that doesn't make me a Christian until becoming a Christian means I repent, I change my mind, I turn to Jesus and I put my faith in him. That's what it means to become a Christian. Recognizing that all of my good works on this plane are never gonna fix anything, but only Jesus' good works are gonna fix anything, especially my heart. So if you wanna become a Christian, become a citizen of heaven, it's simple. You just pray and ask him to forgive you, to receive you, receive his free gift, and he promises to make you his and make you new. Let me pray.